the effect of the Norman conquest on crime and punishment. Norman laws. If a Norman is murdered, the whole area must pay the murderum fine. Many Anglo-Saxon laws stayed the same. The forest laws were put in place to stop poaching, and England became safer as a result. Norman law enforcement. They kept the hue and cry and trial by ordeal, and the Normans established church courts. Norman punishments. They ended the war guild and capital and corporal punishments were kept in place. Anglo-Saxons. Law enforcement. Policing methods. Tithings. Groups of ten men responsible for each other's behaviour. If one broke the law, the others had to bring him to court, otherwise they had to pay a fine. Hue and cry. If an alarm was raised, the whole village had to hunt for the criminal. If someone did not respond, the whole village had to pay a heavy fine. Trials. Trial by a local jury. A jury of local men who knew both the accuser and the accused. If there was no clear evidence, guilt and innocence was based on the knowledge of both parties. Trial by ordeal. If a local jury could not agree, a trial by ordeal would be used to see if God would decide. All trial by ordeals were taken in or near a church. Punishments. Fines. The Wergild. Compensation paid to the victims of crime or their families. The level of a fine was set by the king's law. Killing a noble was worth 300 shillings. A free man was worth 100 shillings. And killing a peasant had a much lower price. Physical injuries also had different prices. Capital and corporal punishment. Execution was used as a punishment for a crime against the king. And mutilation would result in re-offenders losing an arm, hand, nose or even their eyesight. Circa 1500 to circa 1700, early modern England. The nature and changing definitions of criminal activity. Heresy and treason. Heresy, the crime of holding religious beliefs different to those of the monarch or the church. Treason, disobedience or disloyalty to the monarch. For hundreds of years, all English people were part of the Catholic Church, which was led by the Pope. During the Reformation, new Protestant ideas started to challenge the authority of the Catholic Church. The differing religious beliefs of the Tudors became known as the religious roller coaster, where England switched from Catholic to Protestant to Catholic to Protestant and all over again. Circa 1500 to circa 1700, Matthew Hopkins and witchcraft. Why did the number of accusations rise? Village tensions. Poor, vulnerable people asked for help from neighbours. Some villagers felt threatened by their demands. Therefore, old, vulnerable women were blamed for illness or accident, being labelled as a witch in the process. Law changes. Witchcraft used to be tried in local, lenient church courts. However, Henry VIII, Elizabeth I and James I's laws became stricter. Witchcraft became more serious and a capital offence. Religious upheaval. 
Protestants believed that the devil was tempting good Christians away from God. This made the public more likely to believe in harmful magic. The English Civil War. The breakdown of civil law. The fighting meant royal judges were less able to travel and superstitious locals took control over cases. Pamphlets. Cheap, widely printed pamphlets often dealt with dramatic cases of witchcraft. These kept the idea of harmful magic in the public eye. The role of Matthew Hopkins. Hopkins and his assistant searched East Anglia for witches and collected evidence against 36 people, most of whom were elderly women. He got confessions by keeping suspects on the move, standing up and awake for days on end. If any animal made it into the room, it was labelled as a familiar. Any spot or boil was regarded as a devil's mark, where familiars sucked the witch's blood. Hopkins charged for his services, demanding a fee with additional expenses for his time. Trial and punishments for witchcraft. The swim test accused were dunked in an area of water. If they floated, they were a witch. If not, they were innocent. If found guilty, they were hanged. The latter Middle Ages, law enforcement, policing methods. The hue and cry continued. Village constables were established to lead the hue and cry. Coroners were appointed to investigate curious deaths and sheriffs were put in place to lead posses if the hue and cry failed. Trials. Manor courts were used for local minor crimes. Serious crimes were tried by royal judges, also known as justices of the peace. Trial by ordeal was abolished in 1912. Punishments. Fines were paid to the king's officials. Stocks and pillories were used to publicly humiliate criminals. And whipping was used as a public deterrent. Hanging was used as the main method of execution. And execution was used as a deterrent. Circa 1500 to circa 1700, growing fears of vagabondage. A higher population and a lower amount of jobs resulted in more people moving around looking for work. This was called vagrancy. People were worried about vagabondage as A. Vagabonds were suggested to be professional criminals who chose not to work. B. There was a fear of vagabonds forming gangs. C. The poor rates were already being paid to help the poor. Upper-class citizens did not want to be paying more. And D. Pamphlets started to change people's minds about vagabondage. The reality of vagabondage. Vagabonds were normal people who were unemployed. Some were demobilised soldiers. Bad harvests, falling wages and high population all affected vagabondage. Circa 1500 to circa 1700, the nature of law enforcement and punishment. Policing. Continuities. The hue and cry was still used. Citizens were still expected to deal with crime themselves. 
Constables continued to be unpaid and part-time workers, and coroners were still used to investigate unnatural deaths. Changes. Watchmen were employed in large towns to patrol the streets. They were expected to arrest drunks and vagabonds, and rewards were offered for the arrest of certain criminals. Rewards could equal a year's income for a middle-class family. Trials. Continuities. A variety of courts were run by local jury, and manor courts still dealt with local minor crimes. Royal judges still visited each county twice a year to deal with serious offences. Changes in trials. Justices of the peace, also known as JPs, became important in local law and justice. They were assisted by the constables. Quarter sessions were held four times a year, where JPs would come together to judge more serious cases. Benefit of the clergy was scrapped for serious crimes, and the Habeas Corpus Act meant that charges must be made clear before a criminal can be detained. The Bloody Code. Fear of Reasons for the Bloody Code. Fear of crime. Cheap pamphlets carried stories of crime frequently. Public execution made crime more public. Traditional views on punishment. Since the Middle Ages, harsh punishments were used as a deterrent. Growth of towns. Towns were growing, which created more opportunities for crime, as it was easier to escape into a crowd of strangers. Landowners' attitudes. Large numbers of poor people were seen as a threat to rich landowners. Landowners thought harsh punishments would be best for control. Other punishments include stocks and pillories, whippings, fines, houses of correction, prisons for temporary custody and transportation to American colonies. The Gunpowder Plot of 1605 Cause Catholics were angry at King James I because he did not let Catholics worship freely. Aims Robert Catesby created a plan to blow up the king and the government in order to put a Catholic on the throne. Plot Guido Guy Fawkes placed 36 barrels of gunpowder underneath the Houses of Parliament in order to destroy the building and those in it. Aftermath. Fawkes was arrested after a tip-off to Lord Monteagle. Fawkes was tortured and his compatriots were all arrested. All were hung, drawn and quartered. Circa 1700 to circa 1900. The nature and changing definitions of criminal activity. Fears of heresy and vagabondage have declined. Laws against witchcraft were scrapped in 1736 as belief in magic decreased. The government became more worried about crimes that disrupted trade and the economy or threatened property. Highway robbery. Highway robbery grew as... More people travelled on their own coaches. Handguns were easier to obtain, load and fire. Horses became cheaper to buy. There were lonely areas outside towns where coaches could be ambushed. Highwaymen hid in local taverns where they also sold their loot. There was no police force and sheriffs did not track criminals across counties. After wars ended, demobilised soldiers struggled to find honest work. 
Highway robbery declined as the number of banks grew. This meant that fewer people travelled with large sums of money. Stagecoaches were introduced with regular staging posts where tied horses were changed and travellers could rest safely. Road surfaces became better and the number of coaches increased as travel becomes faster. Lonely areas around London were built up as the population expanded. Mounted patrols were set up around London and rewards encouraged the public to identify robbers. Inns and taverns, where highwaymen were known to hide, were shut down. Smuggling and poaching. Smuggling. Smugglers were people who took illegal goods into Britain or did not pay import duty on legal goods. The government's response to smuggling. Disruptive to trade and revenue, which was the government's primary source of income. Smuggling gangs could be as large as 50 to 100 men and were well armed. They would fight customs officials and larger gangs required the army to stop their smuggling. Public attitudes to smuggling. The public disliked expensive duties. Smuggling made luxury goods as affordable. Even government ministers bought smuggled wine. Helping smugglers gave the low-paid and unemployed a chance to make good money. Locals who helped smugglers move goods to the UK could earn double a a labourer's daily wage. Fear of gangs meant people were less likely to give evidence in court against gangs. Poaching. Poaching was made a capital crime in the 1723 Waltham Black Act. The government's view on poaching. Poachers were viewed as a threat to rich landowners' property. Public view on poaching. Gamekeepers were hated as they prevented poaching. Villagers lied in court to keep poachers from being convicted and poaching provided food for poor families and supplemented poor wages. The Topple Tuddle Martyrs. Who? Six farm workers in Dorset, led by George Loveless. Their wages had been cut multiple times, and so they and their families were struggling. What? They formed a trade union for better wages. Upon entry, all men were blindfolded and sworn to secrecy. How did the government respond? The six were arrested under a law meant to stop sailors from mutiny. They were shipped to Australia under sentence for seven years of transportation and the trade union movement was badly hit. What was the public reaction? There was a widespread outcry. A campaign started a petition for the men's freedom and it got 250,000 signatures. In March 1836, The government granted all the six men a pardon. However, it took two years for all of them to be allowed home. The trade union movement took 20 years to recover due to the fear of consequences of joining a union. Circa 1700 to circa 1900, nature of law enforcement and punishment. The Fielding brothers and the Bow Street runners. Brothers Henry and John Fielding took over Bow Street's magistrate's court in 1748. They introduced horse patrols around London to stop highwaymen, and they established a newspaper called The Hue and Cry to share information on crime and criminals across the country. 
they also created the Bow Street Runners, who patrolled London in the evenings to look for crime. They also investigated crimes and gave evidence in court. Robert Peel and the Metropolitan Police Force. The reforms of Peel were very successful because increased taxation. The government was more involved in people's lives after the war with France in 1803 to 1815. Because of the war, more money had to be raised through tax. Increased crime. The crime rate had risen sharply in the aftermath of the French war. After the war, more people became unemployed, so crime became the easiest way to make money. There was also public fear that crime was out of control. Fear of protest. High food prices and unemployment led to many protests after 1815. The government feared revolution was a real possibility. Growth of towns. As towns became larger, watchmen and constables became less effective. There were too many people crammed into close living conditions. This was even more serious in London. The role of Peel. Peel used statistics to demonstrate rising crime. He reassured fellow politicians that a police force was not a threat to freedom. This made them more likely to vote for the act. The development of policing after 1829. 1835, towns could establish their own police force. 1839, counties could set up a police force. Bow Street Runners fuse with the Metropolitan Police. 1842, the Metropolitan Police set up the first detective force to solve crimes. 1856, it is compulsory for counties and towns to have a police force. 1878, the Metropolitan Police Detective Force becomes a criminal investigation department, also known as the CID. Other forces later develop their own CIDs. In 1884, there were 39,000 policemen in over 200 separate forces. The abolition of the bloody code. Why? Juries were not convicting. Juries were unwilling to sentence a convict if they thought the death penalty was too extreme for the offence committed. This meant that some guilty people were found innocent and so escaped justice. Public executions were not working. Large crowds made keeping order hard and criminals could escape. There was risk of riot as there were execution for minor crimes. They were seen as entertainment rather than a deterrent and they were an opportunity for more crimes, such as pickpocketing. Changing ideas about punishment. Some began to argue that punishments should be used to reform criminals instead of just retribution. Alternative punishments, including transportation to Australia, were being tried and ex- exercised. Transportation. The successes of transportation. Juries were more willing to convict if the sentence was transportation rather than execution. By the 1830s, Australia was firmly a British colony. Many convicts with tickets of leave stayed in Australia, becoming respected members of the community. Failures of transportation. The crime rate increased after transportation began. By the 1830s, transportation cost half a million pounds a year. By the 1830s, wages were higher in Australia than in England, It became more of an opportunity than a deterrent. Many settlers protested against leaving convicts in Australia, as it may seem that all people in Australia were criminals. Use declined when prisons became more popular and transportation eventually ended in 1868.
Circa 1900 to present, changes to prisons and non-custodial punishments. Problems with prisons. There are high rates of re-offending. Young prisoners can get drug addictions and can learn crime from older criminals. Prison is expensive for the taxpayer and prison does not deal with the social aspects of crime. Prison changes since 1900. Ended solitary confinement. Prison uniforms were established. Teachers were employed and longer time was spent in cells. There was an increase in drug use and assault. Open prison changes since 1900. Open prisons were first opened in 1933 and convicts were allowed to leave for work in order to prepare them for later life outside of prison. Young offender treatment changes since 1900. Parents can be fined if their children remain in a life of crime. Youth courts work with the police, school, social workers and the probation officers to prevent children from developing a life of crime. Counselling, tagging and curfews have been introduced and custody is viewed as a last resort. A change of non-custodial punishment since 1900. Suspended sentences were introduced in 1967. Community service orders were introduced in 1972. And in the 1990s, electronic tags introduced to monitor an offender's location. Courts can limit offenders' movements. Circa 1900 to present. New crimes and old. Car crime. Car ownership was low in 1900, but today car theft is one of the largest categories of crime. The driving test, road tax and insurance were all introduced in the 1930s. Today, motoring offences take up a lot of police time. Hate crimes. In 2007, the government introduced a new law covering hate crimes. This includes criminal damage, vandalism, harassment and assault of someone based on their religion, their race, their sexuality and or their disability. The most common form of hate crime is racially motivated, but the number of religiously motivated hate crimes has grown. Murder. The number of murders has increased after 1900, but not as quickly as other crimes. Most murders are unplanned and by someone who knows the victim. Most are not premeditated and often heat of the moment decisions. Smuggling. Land, air and sea smuggling is harder to prevent due to larger numbers of people coming in and out of the country. Legal items like alcohol and tobacco are smuggled into the country each day as there still is demand. Demand for illegal drugs has continued to rise over the last 40 years. As a result, the drug industry is worth billions of pounds. Stricter immigration laws have led to an increase in people smuggling, where people who previously would have been denied entry are illegally brought into Britain. Cybercrime. Fraudsters trick people into handing over important details or passwords. Money is then stolen from their accounts. The internet has made pirating movies and music easier. And hacking is now a criminal offence. Terrorism. The IRA carried out bombings on British buildings in the 70s and 90s. More recently, far-right extremists have committed acts of terror. Theft, burglary and shoplifting. Petty theft is still the most common type of crime. 
Drug addiction often leads to theft. Shoplifting was established in the latter 20th century as more shops put goods on display. Violent crime and sexual offences. Both have risen in the latter 1900s due to an increased willingness to report cases. New laws are in place to protect people from domestic violence, intimidation and sexual abuse within marriages. Circa 1900 to present. The nature of law enforcement and punishment. Increased specialisation in the police force. Since 1947, police officers are expected to undergo 14 weeks of basic training at the National Police College. Their training continues with a more experienced officer. Crime has changed and become more complex. As such, there are more varied police departments. These include the Fraud Squad, the Drug Squad, Dog Handlers, Counter-Terrorist Squads and Cybercrime Units. The impact of science and technology on policing. Since 1901, fingerprints, blood samples and DNA have all been used as evidence. The National Police Computer holds information about all suspects, vehicles and evidence. Automatic number plate recognition, ANPR, can recognise registrations and identify vehicles of interest. Motor vehicles have greatly improved response speed. Helicopters allow for real tracking of culprits while two-way radios allow for instant communication between officers. Crime prevention and community relations. Neighbourhood Watch began in 1982 so that the community can report suspicious or criminal behaviour to the police. PCSOs patrol areas on a beat to attempt to improve community relations in some neighbourhoods. More women and people from ethnic minorities are being added to the force to try to meet public proportions. The abolition of the death penalty. Public hanging was no longer around, and the amount so with the amount of crimes carrying the death penalty were lower. Following World War II, the death penalty was looking more barbaric than necessary, as something that the Nazis would do compared to polite British society. There were the cases of Timothy Evans in 1950 and Derek Bentley in 1963, where the named were wrongfully executed. This turned public opinion away from the death penalty. The treatment of conscientious objectors in the First and Second World Wars. Government attitudes during World War I. Local tribunals were biased against conscientious objectors. Some conscientious objectors were given vital work. Others were given frontline, non-fighting roles. Those who refused to support the war at all were punished by prison. 73 conscientious objectors died, and conscientious objectors were banned from voting until 1926. Government attitudes to conscientious objectors in World War II. Tribunals were a lot more balanced and were no longer biased by ex-soldiers. There was a great effort to give more conscientious objectors work that is vital to the war effort. These jobs included farming, and munition making. COs were only imprisoned as a last resort. Public attitudes mainly stayed the same in World War I and World War II. COs were seen as cowards and traitors to their country, 
Some were physically assaulted and many were sacked from their jobs and newspapers were critical of conscientious objectors. Pentonville Prison. The separate system. It provides opportunity for individual improvement. It gives solitude to encourage reform. It encourages prisoners to not influence others into more crime. It deters would-be criminals and ensures retribution. The building of Pentonville Prison. There are five wings and the prison overall can hold 520 prisoners. The cells are four by two metres and heating and mechanical ventilation systems and piped water ensure that prisoners do not need to leave their cells. The living conditions. Walls were thick to limit communication between cells. Prisoners worked within their cell and only allowed out to exercise or to go to chapel. The public opinion of Pentonville Prison. Some prison reformers were concerned about the purposes and the model of Pentonville as a future model for prisons. Most viewed prison as a rehabilitation area, but Pentonville focused heavily on deterrence. Elizabeth Fry was a strong advocate against Pentonville, who wrote to the designer of Pentonville in anger at how the prison was run in 1841.